So 1 Timothy chapter 5, page 1193, if you've got a pew Bible. And as we read, we remember that this is God's Word. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Jesus, Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, please do open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy and the 1 Timothy chapter 5 this evening as we think about this next section in Paul's letter to Timothy and to the church then at Ephesus. So, 
1 Timothy chapter 5. We're really going to focus on the first few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 5, roughly to about verse 16, but we might dip into a couple of the other verses towards the end. Now tonight what we're going to think about is this. Uh, here's a lovely picture of our church family. I've blurred it out slightly, so it's not too distracting for you all to try and find yourselves in it. But uh, the Tonight as we come to this, we're thinking about church family and what our church family is like. So here's a question. As you come along to church Sunday after Sunday, as you come here to be part of our church family and to worship with us, does what you do have any impact upon what's going on here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? And the answer to that is, yes, you have a massive part to play in what goes on here at church each and every week. And as we start to think that, that as you come to church, you have an important piece to play, an important role within the church family, that it's not just what happens at the front that matters. Well, then what we want to think about is, does what happens in the pulpit match what happens in the pew? What we say from the pulpit or from the front, does that match what goes on in our pews? Does what we say from the front land into a functional reality with you, the followers of Jesus? Does our doctrine and our doing match up? Are our nods on a Sunday just blank nominalism, or are they brave discipleship? Because what we want to think about tonight is our church family and the workings within our church family. What's going on just beneath the surface. As we all come in, as we fill our pews, and as we smile at one another, what's actually going on below that? Because as we land in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul's going to have some tough words for us here this evening. He's going to be sensitive and severe. He's going to be caring and cutting. And why is he going to be like that? Well, he's going to be like that because what we do when we come to church and how we relate to one another really does tell us something about our faith. It gives us a window into the spiritual health of the church family. What happens here Sunday after Sunday gives us a a litmus test, as it were, to where we are, spiritually speaking, as a church family. And so we could think about it like this. What goes on behind the closed doors of the church? If this is our home, and those are the the closed doors, what happens in here? How do we treat one another? Do do we actually demonstrate that we understand the gospel by how we relate to one another? How do we speak to one another in church? Have we understood grace and salvation? Because if we've understood grace and salvation, it transforms how we relate to one another. And so the phrase is often used, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. Well, what do we want to do tonight? We want to open up the closed door of the church family life, as it were, and we want to peer into a couple of different rooms to see exactly what is going on in our church family. Because this really matters. What happens in church really matters. How we treat each other really matters. It has an impact upon our own spirituality and the legitimacy of the gospel to each and every person that comes through our doors. So we're going to see three things. We're going to talk about the church functioning. The church functioning as family, the church functioning 
fairly and then the church functioning faithfully. So three things that we're going to see. And we're going to begin with the church functioning as a family. And we're going to see this in verses 1 and 2 of our passage. And really, it's a, a little prelude. It's almost like a little nugget of its own, but it is connected through to the general logic of where Paul's taking Timothy. And he starts off by saying, do not rebuke an older man harshly. But the NIV says, but exhort him. The ESV translates it slightly better, but encourage him as you would a father and younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. Do you see the family language? We don't just talk about church being a family because that's a nice image. We talk about it because it's a biblical image. And so Brian Chappell says this about the church family. A little quote will come up for us. He says, how beautiful is the church that has people who treat one another as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. How beautiful is that church? A church where you actually come in, and if you're a visitor tonight, you're maybe walking into the midst of us, and and we hope that this is something what you see tonight, that you see something of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, that you see a place of love, of, of friendship, of kindness, of deep relationship. But I think for, for, for us in Northern Ireland, this understanding of church was lost for lots and lots of generations. Church was turned into an institution, a place that we attended to get social recognition, something that one family member would have been nominated to go and to represent the family name and the family pew, and you turned up and you marked your card, you endured church, and then you maybe got some status for it. The idea that we were a, a group or a family, well, that was, that was not on people's radars. It was come along to church, arrive with one or two minutes to spare, come in, hang your coat up, sit in the pew, don't talk to anybody else, and then the second the benediction is pronounced, it was a race for the back door, grab the coat and see you next week. No, no notion of what we do as we come along to church being important. No notion of how we carry ourselves as being important. No idea of, of coming along to church to serve one another, to, to pray for one another, to love one another, to, to speak to one another. Imagine Presbyterians talking to one another whenever they come along to church on a Sunday. That was a, that was a foreign idea for us because we had lost this. We lost chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 of, of what Paul's trying to say to this church at Ephesus and to Timothy. For a long time, church was go and then go home. The only unifying factor was the minister. He had spiritual sight over everyone, and everyone else kept themselves to themselves. No one took anything to do with the spiritual life of their brother or sister in the congregation. And so that was the case for too many of our churches for so, so too long. I think we're starting to recover that. I think we do it here. I think we, we're starting to recapture this idea of a church family, of what it means to be in each other's lives and invested in each other's lives. But into this idea of church family, Paul gives very clear instructions how we're to treat one another. And so we have to know one another. That's what we get at here, verses 1 and 2, that we've got to know each other, that we've got to take time in each other's lives. And this takes effort, doesn't it? It's that uncomfortable conversation. Hiya, 
I don't think I've spoken to you before. What's your name? <laughs> and that comes, you think, easy to Nigel and myself, but we know that it doesn't come easy to us. But we have to do it. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, serving alongside one another. It takes time. It takes intentional effort. It takes planning. Planning to set aside more time to be here on a Sunday evening after the service. Planning to speak to one new person or one person that you haven't spoken to in a while. Someone that you see week after week and you know nothing of their story. You don't know their name or where they're from in this local area. You don't know what job they do. So of course it's easy. It's easy to walk in. It's easy to walk out. It's easy to have no meaningful interaction one with the other. But to talk to each other to find out what's happening in our life this week, to ask each other, have we got any big events happening? Is there anything that we can pray for each other about? Asking each other, maybe over a cup of coffee in a pew later on, asking someone, what are you worried about most? Now, if that's your first conversation with them, maybe don't say that. But if you know your brother and say, what are you wor- what's, 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 what's heavy upon you? As we thought about worry last week. This is what church membership looks like, church family. And it's not because we should just do this. It's not because this is a good, good way to function. It's because this is what the gospel demands of us. This has dramatic gospel implications upon us because either our communities are shaped by the gospel, either our communities are operating as the Bible states, or they're not. And if they're not, well then, how are we supposed to tra- attract people who are not Christians? If our gospel communities are not acting in accordance with the gospel, then they will bring discredit upon the gospel. But if we're trying, if we're trying to emulate this, if we're trying to work at this, then they will reflect the gospel and there will be real power. There'll be attraction for those who aren't Christians. The gospel-shaped church, the gospel-shaped church family is sharp with its evangelistic edge. Now, all of this comes out in our speech, verses 1 and 2. Timothy, Paul says, this is how you're to relate to one another. And it all comes out in our speech. Young men. Young men, how are we meant to speak? Well, verse 1, you speak to an older man in your church family as you would your father. And so if you find that there's a struggle if you're a young man and you find there's a struggle with an older gentleman within our church family. What does the Bible say? Encourage him. Do not rebuke him. Do not reject him. Do not ignore him. Do not badmouth him behind his back. But encourage him. Now, I was trying to think, how do we illustrate this? And I'm trying to be age-sensitive here, and there's lots of little lines that are going to talk about older people, okay? But I don't mean to be harmful towards older people. But let me try and illustrate this. Whenever I tried to teach my dad how to use an iPhone, right? An older man trying to teach him how to use an iPhone and that this screen has no buttons and it's a touch screen and there's things like Facebook and maybe it got book face the wrong way around and, and what's Google or Googling or Google ah or whatever it is and there's text and there's WhatsApp and there's email. Believe me, that is trying to teach someone how to use a mobile phone for the first time is, is something that can really test our patience, isn't it? What could I do in that moment? 
His dad and me sit at the kitchen table. Well, I could rebuke him. I'm not even going to put words to that. But yeah, I could have rebuked him. Or I could encourage him. I understand that this is different. Understand that this is, this is hard, Dad. But let, let's do this. Let's do it one little bit at a time. Let, encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. Why? So that the relationship flourishes. Not so that you extinguish the relationship or that you become prickly in the relationship, but you speak young men to older men in the church family with words of encouragement so that the relationship flourishes. And then how do you speak? If, if we're speaking to someone of our own age, well, then how should we speak to them? Well, we should speak to them as brothers. And there's a, there's, a more, there's a sense of more freedom in that relationship, isn't there? I don't have a brother, but you can imagine what it's like for brothers. Brothers can say to one another, would you stop it? <laughs> or, or don't be ridiculous. Or give me a break, would you? Or give me a hand here. There's a closeness in the relationship. There's a, there's a more openness to how you can relate to one another and speak to one another. Then older women, what, what, way, what way should a younger man treat an, an older woman within the church? What way should we treat our older ladies? Well, we should treat them like mothers. Speak to them like they're our mother. That means we treat them with respect and with love and with care. There should be a, a softness, a warmth in the gospel community amongst our older women. And then our younger women, how do we relate to younger women within the church family? Well, we have to see them as a sister. And that means we see them with purity. That there's nothing dodgy, that there's no other intent outside of encouragement, outside of love, outside of protection. And and so we see tonight that these two verses give us a little snapshot into church life, don't they? Into a community of love and respect. And so Chapel again on this, I don't have this up on the screen for us, but Chapel says that this is uh, such graced conduct means that the gospel will go forth unhindered within a church family. Such graced conduct. Now this is hard, isn't it? It's difficult, it takes time, it takes energy. But this is what we are to be like. Now, as we start to think about this and how we relate to one another as a church family, let's think about this under and through the lens of the gospel. Because a person who is joyful, that comes into church and who is who's full of joy, they're full of joy not because they're naturally a happy person. They're full of joy because they've experienced something of Jesus. They're thankful for Jesus. They're joyful because of Jesus. They're experiencing his love and his grace and his forgiveness. That's a a gospel-shaped person that we would say. And so a gospel-shaped person in a church family will not be twisted with other believers. They'll not be always ready to fight. They'll not be always ignoring people, walking past people, not speaking to people within their church family. Their hearts will not be hearts of stone, but their hearts will be replaced with hearts of flesh. And so this is the beautiful church. Whenever the church functions as a family. So I wonder how we're doing. Let's move into our second point. The church functioning fairly. So we'll leave the first two verses and let's move in to verses 3 through verse 16. And so... As it were, we've looked behind the closed door of the church into one room and the church operating as family, and now we want to see how the church operates in its care for one another. 
And Paul here speaks with, as we've said, severity and sensitivity. This may seem niche because he starts to talk about widows, but there's a particular problem going on here in this church that he has to address. And in this, we're going to see four types of widow. Now, there will be things that we're going to learn here that will be general principles that we can apply. But let's look at, there's four different types, just to note these as we work through. There's the older faithful widow, and that person who has support from their relatives. Then there's the older faithful widow who, have, who has no relatives to support them. Then there's the older unfaithful widow, and then there's the younger widow. Now, if we're looking for general principles about how to operate within the church family and how to treat widows, we, we would go to Titus chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 there, we would see it. But this moment here in this letter, this is a crisis moment. There's a particular problem that we're going to see going on in this church. And so chapter, chapter 5 and verse 3 is really the key to understanding this. So let me read it in the NIV, and then I'll read it from the ESV so that we, we get a handle on it. From the NIV first, verse 3 of chapter 5, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Okay. But the ESV puts it, honor widows who are truly widows. So we're to honor the widows who are really widows. Now, let's deal with the problem first. And then we'll move on. So, the problem first. This church family should be functioning more fairly. And that means that there's going to be some harsh decisions to be made. Because some people are abusing the system. We all know what these types of people are like. You know, the the friend that you have whenever you are all around at the house and uh, everyone orders a Chinese and they say, Oh, well, I'm not really hungry tonight. And they just don't want to spend the money because they're going to clean up everybody's leftovers. Right? That type person. Or the person in your friendship group, whenever you say, well, sure, come on, we'll go to Belfast, and it's maybe your fourth trip to Belfast this year, and each time they've refused to drive, and you find yourself driving again, this person who seems to always, always take advantage, the free riders, the, the piggybackers, the people that love living life at other people's expense, in Northern Ireland, the people who are doing the double on the DNA, DLA and also working whenever they shouldn't be, Well, that's what's going on here amongst the the community of widows. There are those who are taking advantage of the church system here in this little church in Ephesus. And so Paul's writing into this situation, and he has some hard things to say. So look at verse 6. The older widow, she should not, in verse 6, be like the one who is self-indulgent. Or she will be dead even while she lives. The NIV puts it, the one who lives for pleasure. And then look at the younger widow, the problem with the younger widow in verse 13. Well, they're taking advantage of the system and they're learning to be idlers. They're going about from house to house. And not only to be idlers, but also to be gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. And so to get into this problem, to start to unearth this problem, the question that we should ask around widows in the church is, who should provide for them and how? Who should provide for them and how? Well, the people of God from Exodus chapter 22 and verse 22 have been known as being those who care for the orphan and who care for the widow. It's been a hallmark of the church to care for the vulnerable, 
to watch over those in their flock. But look at what happens. The fault is found here, first and foremostly, with the person that we have experienced here in verses 6 and verse 13. But then secondly, in verses 4 and verses 8 and verses 16, with the family. Now, this has, has much to teach us. Let's, let's read this carefully together. Verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The ESV has it to show godliness. You should care, children and grandchildren, for those who are above you in your family. And then we come to verse 8. And this is serious. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Then verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, we're going to work through this, but here's what one commentator says in this. He says, the biblical mandate to Christian children of aging parents is clear. Biblical mandate is clear. Support your parents and your grandparents. Why? Because verse 4, it pleases God. And so this, this, is, this is right in the news for us here tonight, because to neglect to love and to neglect to love and to care for our own family, what is this passage saying? To neglect to love and to care for our own family effectively is us tearing down our own Christian faith. Verse 8 is so strong because Paul sees this as being one of the most basic and fundamental rules in life as human beings made in the image of God that we care for those whom God has set before us in our family. And so we can be as nice as we want as we come along to church. We can have this lovely facade. We can live our beautiful lives. But if behind closed doors we are not caring for our families, well, then we're bringing total discredit on the gospel. And so to get this wrong in the Christian life is to get everything wrong. Because it demonstrates this. It demonstrates selfishness of the highest degree. And it shows, this actually does show us that someone does not understand Jesus and his ways. It means that someone who's claiming to be a Christian and who does not apply this passage to their life shows that they do not understand the gospel. It's to deny the faith. Verse, that verse again, verse 8. They are worse, worse than an unbeliever. And so Paul is strong to children and to grandchildren because failing to do this would fail to reflect the gospel. And if you fail to do this within the church family, he's trying to teach them that, that it brings terrible disrepute upon the gospel. 
because the world will look in and they will see Christians who do not care for their parents and for their, their grandparents, and yet the world will, there'll be some uh, incredible examples in the world of non-believers loving their family really well. And so for Paul in this letter, to shipwreck your faith, how can you do it? Well, you can listen to false teachers, but you'll also shipwreck your faith if you do not care for those who are older than you in your family. Now, for us today, this gets lots of traction. This is so relevant for us. Why? Well, because society, what does society do? Society celebrates youth and energy, doesn't it? And elderly people, well, they're increasingly forgotten about. Elderly people in our culture are treated with less and less respect. You see this often if you're on public transport or if you're in London and you're on the tube. What, what used to happen if an elderly gentleman or an elderly lady got into the tube or onto the bus, the young person would automatically give up their seat. And now what does the young person often say? Not always, but often, I'm sure I was here first. I deserve the seat. Why would I give it to you? I have as much right to the seat as what you do. And they might even give abuse to an older person. You see our culture, the rising pressure, the rising pressure upon the government to legalize euthanasia. Why? Now, it's a big debate, and we're not going to touch upon it, and we're not going to deal with it carefully here, but some of what's going on in that debate is, is to push old people, elderly people, to the very outskirts of our society, to see older people as a burden a pressure to deem them to be irrelevant and unworthy, a nuisance and a burden. And here's a little quote. I don't know where I came across this this week, but I thought this, this, this sort of summarizes that busy lives and good social care from the state has meant that elderly people have been neglected, dumped, and pushed to the side by their families. Now, we can cover it up, we can try to ignore it, but this is where we're at. This is where our culture is at. And so, what do we have here as the church? We have this wonderful opportunity to say, no, we need to stop this. There's, there's a far better story to tell. Every human life is valuable. Every member of society is valuable. Every member of our church is valuable. The old and the young, we care for them. We love them. We, we value them. That's what actually the word is in, in the original Greek in chapter 3, or in chapter 5 and verse 3, that word that the NIV translates proper recognition. It's really the word honor or valuable. They've got currency. You see them as being of great value, people in your congregation that are older, and in this, in this context, the widows specifically. And so what do we want to do as Christians within the church? We want to uphold the fifth commandment to honor our parents. But tonight, I think, as we look at this, it starts to show us how individualistic we are starts to show us how we're just like the world. And Jesus calls us, he calls his church to have different values. So are we known for our care and for our love of all ages? Because here's the thing, sometimes we think that to be spiritual, it just means that we need to read our Bibles and say our prayers, and now it's certainly not less than that. But the Christian life should be intensely practical. 
Intensely practical. And that means caring for parents and caring for those who don't have anyone to care for them. Now, as you care for an elderly parent or for a sick parent, does life look different? Yes, it does. It doesn't look like the Instagram lifestyle where you get to go out and have nice coffee and all of these lovely days. Instead, it looks like hospital appointments and doctor's appointments and spending long hours in a hospital. But that's okay. And if there's someone within the church family who's facing that situation, what should the church family seek to do? It should seek to encourage and help that person. The church family functioning fairly. Those who need care should get it. Those who seek to abuse the care system within the church should not. Our time's nearly away. Let's go to our final point, the church functioning faithfully. What are, what are one of the hallmarks of the Christian church? Well, as we're seeing tonight, one of the hallmarks should be that there is love and there's care. Imagine that we were going to stay with a family, and we'd, we'd never met this family. Perhaps it's some sort of... Uh, transfer system between us and another country, and you're landing into this host family. And you get a taxi to their house from the airport, and you arrive at the front door, and as you're just about to knock the front door, some of the the sons comes out through the front door, they've just been punched, and they fall onto their back on the middle, middle of the floor just in front of you. And you hear shouting and roaring, and then the next thing somebody throws a chair through the window, and it smashes, Uh, and there's an awful bedlam, and you're still standing at the door. No one's said hello to you yet. There's this almighty riot going on within the house. Then you see other people in the house walking past, and they're just ignoring each other in the hallway. And you think, what have I landed into? Well, that can often be our church, can't it? Now, hopefully no one's throwing chairs through windows at church. But you get the idea. You arrive into this church, this church family, and it seems like everyone doesn't get on. What's What's happening? So one of the hallmarks of the church should be that we're faithful, that we're faithful in these things. Look at verse 21. Paul says, I charge you not to show partiality or not to show favoritism, that we're to be a a family of people here. We're to have a, a family of good deeds, that we're to be faithful people. So what does that look like? Well, for the older widow, for the older widow, your life within the church family is not now redundant. You're not on the shelf because look at, look at verse 10. You're still active within the church. There's a faithful element to your service. You have a reputation for good works. You show hospitality. You care for the afflicted. You've devoted yourself to every good work, and you continue to do that. That's playing your faithful part within the family. And then the younger widow, well, what should the younger widow do? Verse 14, Paul says that that the younger widow shouldn't come onto this list. There's a list in Ephesus in this church for those who need care and those who don't. And the younger woman shouldn't come onto it in this sense because if they're coming onto it for the easy life, well, then they shouldn't do that. If they're just coming onto it so they can get money and to relax and not have to work and not have to look after their own affairs, well, then they shouldn't do that. And if they're going to say, I'm going to take a vow not to marry, to come across as holy, well, actually what that is is from a few chapters earlier, that's you sucking up false teaching. 
And so verse 14, Paul says to be faithful if you are a younger widow and you find yourself in that awful set of circumstances, if the opportunity arises, well then you should marry again. Paul's point is this, that older widows and younger widows, that you can still be faithful within the church family. There's, There's still a job for you to do that society in this time would have said you're on the scrap heap that you're redundant, you're useless, but within the church, absolutely not. You're still part of things. You're still absolutely at the center of things. You're still serving in this place. And so gospel-minded people and gospel-minded churches should be living what for the glory of Jesus, valuing each and every relationship. And the principles are this. We shouldn't abuse a system. We should not sit back idly and let others look after some people. But as a family, we should function and operate with gospel integrity. Now tonight, lots of this is quite quite cutting. It's, It's quite severe, but it's severe for good purpose. And so one of our responses tonight could be that we we need to repent. We need to hold our hands up and say, I've got this wrong. I've gotten it wrong. And I'm sorry for that. I haven't treated people within the church family the way I should. I haven't treated the own members of my own family the way I should. And so before the Lord, we might need to come tonight and repent. I'll close with this story about how this looks, how how we put this into practice. So one of our applications might be repentance, but for, for some of us here, it, it might be a call to arms. And in that sense, a call to love one another, a call to care for one another. A true story, and there was a man in America who died in his local church. And he was a young man, and he had a young wife and young children, and he passed away. And this lady and her children had nowhere to stay. And so what did the people of the church do? Well, the men of the church put their resources together and they built a house. And so they built a house for this young mom and for her children. And the story was told, and it's a true story, that as the son grew up, one of the sons grew up, he asked his mom, mom, what's the story about our house? How did we get our house? You know, and she started to describe it. And she said, look, son, it was our church Our church built this house for us. And this young boy, whenever he found that out, he resolved and he said, I'll build a house for the Lord one day. I'll build a house for our church. And he did exactly that. And he built a church. He became very wealthy. And he built a church for his church family. And in that church today, thousands of people worship the Lord. See how love and care comes around? See how we're to care functioning as a family to love one another well? That's just one practical example of it. And so all of this tonight, this is the good news of Jesus. This is the countercultural community that we are part of. That we care. That we take time to love and to invest. So does in this place, does what happens in the pew and the pulpit match up? Do we live as part of a church family and in this community in the way that we ought? And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, can you see here at Hill Street, week after week, amongst us, 
something, something in its dim sense of the, the beauty of the gospel, of, of these little relationships, of little signposts to what Jesus has been doing, grafting us, ingrafting us together, bringing us together to be part of him. And if you can see that tonight and you're not a believer and you can see something of the beauty of it, well, Jesus calls to you and he says, you can be part of our family too. You can come and be part of this if you'll repent and if you'll believe. So for us tonight as the church, may Christ and the good news of the gospel compel us to love one another well.